Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Sue O'Connell, sitting in for Callie Crossley this week on Under the Radar. 417. That's how many anti-LGBTQ plus bills were introduced in several state legislatures this year alone. That according to data published by the ACLU. That is a record amount and more than twice the amount of anti-LGBTQ plus bills introduced just last year. And private companies have become entangled in culture wars, including Bud Light, as a transgender TikTok influencer and activist was featured in a social media ad promoting the beard. Plus, some activists continue to take to the streets. One LGBTQ plus group in New Hampshire, Rainbow Reload, is taking up arms for self-protection. That and more on our LGBTQ News Roundtable. And later in the show, a young saxophonist from Brookline took the world by storm when she was barely a teenager performing alongside some of the greatest musicians alive. The type of jazz that I love to play is the is music for everybody. And I, I want my audience to always feel like they're welcome. Grace Kelly's latest project, At the movies, Grace Kelly with Strings reflects the influence of jazz great Charlie Parker and her love of the movies. But first, joining me in the studio, Jansen Wu, Executive Director of LGBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, or GLAAD. Hey, Jansen. Thank you for having me, Sue. And Grace Sterling Stoll, Executive Director of the Boston Alliance for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer Youth, or Bagley. Thanks for joining us, Grace. Hi, Sue. I'm glad to be here. And E.J. Graff, journalist, author, and managing editor of The Monkey Cage. Great to talk to you again. Been a long time. Been a long time. Good to talk to you, Sue. All right, Jansen, let's let's start with what the heck is happening across the country with some of these uh, very restrictive and uh, reductive and reversal laws that are being passed across the country in states that are really targeting not just uh, gay and lesbian and bisexual youth, but specifically a lot of trans youth. You know, we were talking before we started the show about how many there are. It's almost impossible to break them down. But what are you most concerned about when you're looking at these across the country? Well, this has certainly been an unprecedented year in terms of attacks on our community, particularly the most vulnerable, um, our youth. Um, so just to kind of, you know, give some more detail, uh, just in the first three months of 2023, we've seen more attacks on healthcare for transgender people than has been introduced in the last six years combined. And nearly three out of 10 of those bills would ban or restrict care for young people, transgender young people. So we're in a situation now where 16 states now ban what is best practice medical care for transgender youth. Uh, most recently, Missouri 
actually, uh, Missouri's attorney general effectively banned medically necessary care for all transgender people, both youth and adults. And so we are living in a country now where one in five transgender youth are not getting the access to the often life-saving care that they need. And so if you were to ask me what I'm most concerned about, um, it's around medical care. It's something that you know transgender youth and families um, rely upon to allow their, you know, uh, the kids to thrive and to grow up healthy and with strong self-esteem um, and to alleviate much of the distress that they experience as a result of gender dysphoria. And all of a sudden that necessary medical care is being ripped away from them by politicians. EJ, um, from a, a perspective of, of reporting and covering all of this, uh, it, it's it's been standard practice to consider that the conservatives and Republicans um, are concerned about government overreach. They should be concerned about the government being too involved in people's business. Uh, most recently, they were very concerned about uh, COVID protocols and pro COVID safety uh, uh, um, um, issues and tools. Uh, concerned about vaccinations. It seems counterintuitive to have conservatives and people on the right so interested in being involved in medical decisions between uh, parents and children and their doctors. How are they squaring this? Oh, Sue, you know perfectly well Republicans don't feel the need to square it. I, I, I'm not talking about the honest, um, everyday, ordinary Republican listener we might have here, but the establishment, there it's not a party that's worried about hypocrisy or we wouldn't be seeing very much of what we're seeing uh, right now. What's driving all this is it, it, this, this culture war is a real war. And I think it's very important to see the attacks on um, transgender care alongside all the other attacks that are happening in the very same states the uh, attacks on reproductive health care, the attacks on um, teaching the facts about American history um, racially, and the attacks on voting rights. This, this is a real culture war, a real backlash moment for the country, not just on um, the us rainbow people. Um, it's on it's a fight over whose country this is and what story we tell ourselves about who we are. And about one in five Americans is sympathetic to Christian nationalism, according to PRRI, and most Republicans are. And what we're seeing is the advancement of this white supremacist Christian nationalist ideology that theorizes that God put white men in control of the United States and that includes this rigid gender ideology that we're watching being be enforced of separate sex roles, separate sexes, no deviation. I, I could go on, but I'm sure I'm now sounding like a rhetorical cloud. So I'm going to stop. You get the idea of what I'm trying to do. We get the idea. I want to I want to throw a clip, Grace, before we go to you. This is a drag performer, Tiffany Fantasia. She's in an MSNBC interview talking about this anti-drag and anti-trans bill passed in Florida uh, this month, which bans anyone under the age of 18 from attending a drag event or a parade, even if they're accompanied by a parent. You have the right to bring your child to a drag show. I mean, 
what type of world are we living in where the government is now telling us how we can raise our children? I mean, I grew up as a little kid and I learned how to shoot a BB gun at a church. My parents were okay with that. If somebody's child is very creative and they want to be at a drag show, you should be able to let them. Stop infringing on parents' rights to be able to um, raise their child how they want to raise their child. Me standing in a dress singing Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, is not lewd conduct, but somebody, because I'm a man in a dress performing, can find it lewd and or sexual because they have a problem with me being a man in a dress. And that should not be the case. This is art. This is entertainment. Grace, have, have we lost the drag wars? I mean, it, it seems like just five years ago we were celebrating RuPaul having this huge success, uh, you know, bridesmaids and, and, and uh, uh, bachelorette parties had taken away our beloved jocks from us, uh, Provincetown's complaining there's too many straight people taking over the drag shows, yet here we are having this fight about something that has existed since the dawn of time, uh, and as I keep arguing, even the Pope wears a dress, why is everybody freaking out about it. How do we win win this back? Well, of course, and that's the challenge, right? Because this there there is no logic and reason to this. This is a political strategy, well-coordinated, sophisticated, uh, that one of the major two political parties in this country is waging uh, against drag performers, against trans people, against LGBTQ people, people of color, women. You know, the, again, it's so ironic that the party that was all about individual rights and small government is actually using the the instruments and tools of government to attack individuals and 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 impinge on the rights of of folks to just be who they are, to access the medical care that they need and deserve, that, that and and to be able to live their lives. So, uh, yeah, it, it's ironic, it's tragic, and and I'm always most concerned about the impact on the on communities and especially young people because young people are growing up in real time right now, and this is what they're hearing. So there's no rhyme and reason to this other than hate and discrimination, and, and it's terrifying. want to change gears a little bit and uh, look to our, our brothers and sisters and family members up in the north in New Hampshire. Todd Bookman of New Hampshire Public Radio has a story out about uh, LGBTQ plus folks uh forming and belonging to a gun group called Rainbow Reload, which is an LGBTQ gun club. Uh, and of course, it's uh, uh, a little tongue-in-cheek offering gun-curious folks a chance to shoot. Um, and it's it's not just um, being driven by from folks who spoke in this article to, to um, Todd about a, a sportsmanship or hunting t- with weapons. It's about a concern of arming yourself and protecting yourself in this environment that we're in now. Full disclosure, I I have fired uh, 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 rifles. I was an NRA member in high school. I was a championship um, shooter, so I understand the allure of the sport of it. But um, EJ, this is a this is a different approach. This is a protecting yourself approach. What was your reaction to that story? My my reaction is a little bit of skepticism. I as as you note you grew up with guns where you you know we all know that uh lgbtq people come from every zip code every different microculture in the country and there are already uh some of us not me but some of us who grew up with guns and are comfortable with guns in places like new hampshire um I have a friend in Maine who grew up with guns and taught her her son to shoot a, a lesbian 
of my generation. And this particular group might be doing it out of uh, concern about attack, but I'm a little, I think the data might be dubious on whether that's a widespread impulse. Jansen, um, of course, we're watching in the news. Uh, I, I keep maintaining that if we keep uh, allowing everyone to have legally owned weapons, small disputes will turn into deadly disputes, which unfortunately we have been seeing uh, happen across the country. Um, what what should we be doing as LGBTQ people to protect ourselves? I mean, if if one rejects the idea that we should be arming ourselves, how how can we protect ourselves on a daily basis? It's a really urgent question for all of us, and particularly for those of us who work in the LGBTQ movement. Um, you know, in general, we've seen a huge increase in white Christian nationalist activities around drag queen story hours, around pride marches at schools bomb threats to, you know, children's hospitals, including Boston Children's Hospitals, um, staff of our own organizations who are being harassed online. Um, I've spoken to many executive directors of other organizations um, who are, you know, having to hire consultants to do security planning for our own events. So there's a real fear right now within our community and our movement around our safety. Um, and what I would say, the steps that we can take all individually, as well as, as communities and as organizations is first to be prepared. And I think the first place to look is online and making sure that your personal information uh, is not out there. And there are services, although they are expensive, uh, to um, try to minimize your risk online. Um, and then two, you know, whenever we're in public spaces now, um, particularly at Pride, which is coming up, um, I think we need to be very aware of our surroundings. Grace, what are the kids saying? What are young people saying regarding um, their personal safety? Not just, you know, obviously, particularly as LGBTQ plus uh, uh, individuals, but also as a generation of kids who have come up with uh, school shootings and safety drills around mass shootings being the norm. I, I can't imagine what it must be like. Well, certainly young people who are LGB and especially T, young people who are youth of color, young people uh, who are marginalized uh, in our society by a variety of experiences and identities have have grown up, you know, li living with um, this kind of fear and anxiety and needing to be vigilant or perhaps hyper vigilant. Uh, at the same time, what's happening now is another whole level, and or at least, and especially at least in their lifetimes, the, for many this is this is the worst it's ever been, um, and and so for them there's a lot of fear, uh, there's a lot of desire to find ways to take care of each other and support each other as a community, um, but. But again, that it's all over the map, kind of like adults. You know, there are some who respond by turning inward and saying that I'm going to stay away from large events or I'll access services and programs online. And there's others who are defiant and say, no, I'll, I'm going to, I'm not going to let. If they, if we do that, they win. And so I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But, but they're all aware of it and they're all concerned. And uh, uh, and and like like the adults in the community, uh, we're all trying to figure out strategies. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar. I'm Sue O'Connell, sitting in for Callie Crossley. And here with me are Jansen Wu, Executive Director of GLAAD, 
Grace Sterling Stoll, Executive Director of Bagley, and E.J. Graff, Managing Editor of The Monkey Cage. We're discussing the latest LGBTQ stories you should know about. Um, Jansen, uh, the, the Biden administration, Joe Biden, obviously not having yet announced as we're speaking that he's running for re-election, but we can assume he's running for re-election. And uh, as a political watcher, we can also probably assume he's going to take one step over to the right from maybe where he has been living. But uh, recently it was announced that uh, the White House and Joe Biden have made clear that they will veto uh, any legislation that comes to their desk, in particular the measure known as the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, which would uh, take the Title IX uh, federal civil rights law and um, say that uh, amend it to say that sex, recognized sex that is based solely on a person's reproductive biological and genetics at birth, Biden says he will reject that if it comes to his desk. This on the heel of sort of splitting uh, the baby, if you will, a little bit around uh, trans participation in sports uh, on an elementary and middle school level, but then being a little bit more uh, conservative when it comes to the high school and college level. What's your reaction to where the Biden administration is in regard to protecting trans rights right now? So first, we want to applaud the by administration uh, for taking a strong stance in support of trans youth and athletes. Um, the you know politics and participate politics over participation act, which is what we're calling it, um, actually just passed the house today um, entirely along party lines. Um, and even though we don't expect it'll pass the Senate, and President Biden has about to veto it, it's pretty concerning um, that this um, politics of fear um, has risen all the way up to um, the highest legislature of our land. Um, also, in addition, the Biden administration and the Department of Education issued proposed regulations um, under Title IX to clarify what is allowed and not allowed um, with regards to transgender participation in sports. And again, we want to applaud the administration for providing a really powerful tool here. There are currently 21 states that ban trans um, youth from playing sports with their friends. Um, and once this regulation is um, finalized, assuming it's finalized in its current form, all 21 of those bans would be illegal under Title IX. In addition, what these proposed regulations does is set a really high bar for any high schools or colleges uh, to put limitations on trans athletes' participation in sports. They limit it to only very small, um, certain contexts, such as elite levels. Of competition, um, it you know uh, mandates that any restrictions have to be tailored to the sport itself, and it has to take into account uh, the harm and impact to transgender athletes. Um, so what we have here, once these regulations are um, finalized, is a really powerful tool to combating the wave of um, attacks against kids who just want to play sports and they want to play sports for the same reasons that their friends do to be part of a team, to learn um, discipline and hard work and to have fun. Um, that's what we're talking about here. Um, and that's what the um, conservative right wants to scare people about for political power. 
Grace, do you feel like we've, we, and I mean we as the collective United States of America, we, are we, are we centering the right voices when we're having these discussions and covering these stories and lawmakers? Not, not, I'm talking about the progressive and Democrat and liberal lawmakers, not the conservative ones. Are we centering the right voices when we're having discussions about, um, in, in particular the elite athlete and the college athlete around having trans participation in sports discussions? You know, I would say no. I mean, in some cases, yes, but generally, no. The 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 folks who should be centered are the ones who are most effective affected, and it it should be uh, the voices of trans people, their families, their teammates, their friends, like the folks where this is just not a problem. I mean, this is one of those things that is not actually a problem, but the right has created as a pseudo problem. And, and then they're coming up with solutions to something that wasn't a problem in the first place. And so we aren't having converse. The conversation should be, how can we make sure that all young people, including transgender young people, have opportunities to play school sports? That should be the conversation. And instead, the conversation is, is taking a very small group of folks and painting them as the outsiders who are somehow threatening everyone else. And so then the conversation proceeds from there. How much will we allow them to do or not allow them to do something? And so, no, we're not centering the voices of, of the young people who, who are the ones who are directly impacted by this. And, and I've even seen that in kind of the, that middle of the road libertarian, you know, kind of public figures, the Bill Mars and Joe Rogans and so forth, who are having lots of conversations about the nuances and picking it apart. Well, maybe, you know, I support trans people, but that those kinds of conversations, but I've yet to see them have any people on their show saying, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a, a girl in, in uh, school and I want to play sports with my teammates. Like that, that's not the conversation that they, they're having, but it's the one that we need to have. EJ, I'm going to give you the, uh, the eye-rolling uh, question again. Um, you know, it's so nice to see people uh, concerned about women's sports and showing so much interest in it. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, Title IX, I'm sure they fought tooth and nail, and now they want to amend it. It's like they, they're reading it for the first time. I mean, how, how hair-pulling is this to watch people be so invested in something that they have totally ignored? <laughs> you did make me laugh. Um, but I, I'm going to go back to saying I am just, I'm I'm so, I'm too old to roll my eyes over hypocrisy. It, it, I, they're going to use whatever arguments they feel they can and need to use in order to impose this um, regime of gender control. Um, and I'm so sorry to use such a academic term, but reproductive rights, trans health care, um, trans participation in schools, uh, controlling the way people dress, because that's what we're, and present themselves in public, uh, which, because that's what we're talking about with drag shows. It's, it's all the same campaign. And the logic is men should be men, women should be women. And all of us in the rainbow are just too queer to count. All right. I want to switch gears here and talk about what has become my favorite story of the year for uh, any number of reasons. Bud Light, of course, the chosen beer by lesbians all through the last century, uh, has <laughs> become a hot, a hot lightning rod issue. This is transgender TikTok influencer Dylan Mulvaney speaking about the backlash that she received around her recent Bud Light social media campaign 
And she's on Rosie O'Donnell's podcast here. The reason that I think I am so, um, I'm an easy target is because I'm still new to this. I think going after a trans woman that's been doing this for like 20 years is a lot more difficult. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, and so I think maybe (laughs) they think there's some sort of chance with me. All right, so uh, Grace, first of all, um, you know, the biggest defense here is that uh, she, in this TikTok she put up, was portraying Holly Golightly who, from Bre- Breakfast at Tiffany's, who we know did not drink beer. OK, so if we're going to be offended by something, let's make sure we're offended by the right thing here. Um, secondly, this was not a bespoke um, a promotion. This was a promotion that was open to everyone in the planet who wanted to participate. So this wasn't a Bud Light specific thing, although she took advantage of it. Uh, and, and thirdly, you know, we've been through the beer, I, I think all of us, the beer boycotts in the past. We've been through the Coors boycotts. Uh, <laughs> you know, it ended up that the Republicans had to start calling on people not to boycott Bud Light because Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch give so much money to the Republicans and conservative causes. Um, is this an example of why uh, sometimes folks should just hold their fire, hold the, keep their powder warm and just let something play out? Or do you think this has really moved the ball forward for somebody? You know, I... I... I can't help but feel like this this is this is not the fight that we need to be fighting at this time. You know, <laughs> when I think of, you know, the the targeted attacks on our community and young people and trans people and and, and communities of color and women, I just feel like, you know, I, I don't have the time or bandwidth to be worrying about <laughs> Uh, you know, a beer, a beer commercial, or or endorsement, or or any of that. Uh, so, yeah, it's a just to me, it's a distraction, and it's not where we need to focus. And 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 let's make sure that uh, if anybody really wants to do something positive, that they focus on where the real fight is. Jansen, this did end up though, uh, certainly highlighting uh, Dylan, who you know, truth be told, was not a major social media star, but she certainly is now. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I just kind of want to you know, appreciate, you know, her courage and bravery and being out there. I mean, I realize that's, you know, part of her livelihood, um, but I'm sure she didn't expect to be thrust in the spotlight and, you know, in such a way. Um, I'll also say that the fact that it's now conservatives boycotting Bud Light as opposed to progressives actually shows the progress we've made in our society and the fact that what we are experiencing right now is really a last gasp of, you know, kind of, you know, the white Christian nationalist movement plus um, realizing that, you know, they demographically and politically are losing. Um, And to the point that even Bud Light, you know, such an iconic American and certainly no, you know, not historically um, aligned with liberal causes, um, sees the writing on the wall, sees the money to be made, and is going with it. Um, so, you know, I, I realize that so much of what's going on in the world right now is incredibly challenging, and a lot of young people in particular, you know, you know, will be harmed. And, you know, the only way to get through this is through this. Uh, um, and I really do believe we are seeing a last gasp here. EJ, to, to Jansen's point, uh, Anheuser-Busch sent out probably one of the most um, uh, written by committee public uh, relations releases around this that said almost nothing, uh, To uh, brought it to high art of saying nothing. But it did lead me to, to think, are we just now at a point, and I just, just don't mean we, I mean all of us, that some of these boycotts 
uh, just just really don't have the teeth in them that they if they ever did that that they do. These companies are so big and so complex that uh, deciding that you are going to buy Bud Light because of Dylan or not buy Bud Light because of uh, your your uh, your offense, it's it's really not going to make a difference at the end of the day, is it? It's not really a a thoughtful, coordinated boycott. I mean, boycotts are really successful. Boycotts are hard to do. Um, I I think it's all just drawing attention, as Jensen sort of suggested uh, without saying, drawing attention to the fact that Bud Light wants a bigger customer base. And this is an excellent way for them to say, see, we're not just for the old white guys anymore. As we uh, start to close out this section, I want to take a look over to Ukraine. Uh, From the front lines of Ukraine, uh, Viktor Polopanko spoke with CBS last year about the role of LGBTQ rights and how it plays in the war, why it's important for him to be a gay soldier fighting alongside other Ukrainians. It will be a complete disaster. Putin's ideology is uh, homophobia. So... uh... Uh, disrespect towards uh, human rights. Because openness changes things, changes attitude. And of course, as this war goes on, uh, Ukrainians' uh, views of LGBTQ soldiers continues to progress. Uh, and it's a very conservative country, uh, as as is Poland and other areas there. Uh, Grace, this is one of those moments where uh, hardship and trauma uh, show that sometimes something like that really brings people together and overcomes the preconceived notions they might have had before, right? Absolutely. I know there has been research that uh, has been done, you know, for many years that that demonstrate that close proximity changes hearts and minds, that actually knowing people, working with people, fighting in a war together with people, you know, whatever the circumstances, especially something that is as life-threatening as as war uh it it changes people around how they see each other and and uh and it and it does change perspectives often so uh it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes something that extreme but we know but we know that that's what that happens you know when people are actually working with or living with or fighting alongside someone they just see them differently than what they've heard in the abstract And EJ, of course, the question always is, will it stick? Hopefully the war will end. Uh, You know, we go back to think about Rosie the Riveter and how she went right back to the kitchen after World War II. But this kind of progress sometimes does actually have legs. Well, sending Rosie back to the kitchen was an active campaign. Um, This this story made me think of Simon Nicoli, um, who you all may remember, uh, who was an anti-apartheid activist, a black gay man from South Africa, who said, who told us, I'll never forget this, when he came and spoke in Boston, that you had to be out during the struggle or they wouldn't know you had been with them and wouldn't pay attention to you when they rewrote the rules of the country. I I think we've seen the strategy of being out and open wherever you are be pretty successful, not 100% successful, but pretty successful for us here in the United States. Once people know that it's their sisters and their uncles and their children, uh, they they treat us better. 
Jensen, I remember in the last century when uh, I was uh, advocating to lift the ban of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell and, and LGBTQ folks in the military, and a woman came up to me uh, and said, uh, I'm happy to sign your petition to get you into the Army, and I'll be happy to sign to get you out um, once again. But this really does speak to uh, the issue of, of having protections and access to all folks who can serve and, and want to serve. Yeah, I mean, that's a great story. And, you know, I think it's right that whether or not you support, you know, the military or not, um, LGBTQ inclusion in the military is, has been a very effective way of accelerating acceptance for LGBTQ people in many ways, the same as marriage, whether or not you support the institution of marriage or not. And it's because military marriage, uh, these are kind of like cornerstone institutions um, in our country and other countries um, that people, you know, admire, they respect, and having LGBTQ people part of that extends that acceptance to our communities. But I just want to end here on one last note, which is that, you know, what the story, what the soldiers said about kind of Putin's campaign and the importance of combating it with visibility, I think it's so powerful. It's such a powerful lesson for us as well, too. Um, we know that authoritarianism requires the scapegoating and suppression of minority rights to succeed. And that's why his statement and his fight is so important in the conflict between Ukraine um, and Russia and Putin. But that's also true here. And that's going back to the beginning of you know, this program. That's what we are seeing. We are seeing the you know, use of LGBTQ people, particularly young people, as political pawns in an extremist um, attempt to undermine our democratic institutions. And so whether or not you know someone who's trans or gay, or you yourself are, we should all care about um, having strong um, protections and civil rights in our country because they are the bedrock of a healthy, multiracial, pluralistic democracy. Jansen, I think you just said it well, so we will leave it there. Thank you to all of you for joining me today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sue. Thank you. My pleasure. Jansen Wu is the Executive Director of LGBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD. Grace Sterling Stoll is the Executive Director of the Boston Alliance of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Youth, Queer Youth, or Bagley. And E.J. Graff is a journalist, author, and managing editor of The Monkey Cage. Coming up... Under the Radar's Callie Crossley in conversation with musician Grace Kelly, who, at just 30 years old, has already found critical success in her latest project, At the Movies, Grace Kelly with Strings, features her vocals and saxophone as she's backed by a 15-piece ensemble in the East Coast premiere at Berklee College of Music. That's next. This is Under the Radar. I'm Sue O'Connell, in for Callie Crossley. Callie Crossley.